Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I've got visions in my head. People tell me that I'm crazy. I tell them that's exactly it. I've got reasons for my absence. People tell me that I'm burn out. I tell them I'm not like the rest of us. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the show. Today's episode might just be, I'm not kidding when I say this, in my top like three or five episodes of all time. And I've been doing the show for four years at this point. It is exactly what I have needed for years and years and years. I wish I had an episode like this, like more so like three or four years ago. I have the Shrink Chicks on. They are amazing. We are talking about, you know, navigating family dynamics, aka family drama in the holiday season and also loneliness. I feel like as someone who loves Christmas, I have dealt with a lot of grief in my life and I have had you know, I, the holidays just bring up negative emotion. As much as I do love Christmas and the holiday season, I do find myself a little bit more stressed, anxious, lonely. I find that it's not always the best for my mental health. And then, you know, we all have different family dynamics that play a part and a role. So I figured it would be perfect to have these girls on today to talk about it and give us some really good advice. We're even going through like how to respond to certain conversations around the holiday time. I'm not kidding, guys. This is going to be an episode that we come back to for years and years and something that you guys hopefully send around because I think it's going to make our holiday season a little bit better. So with that being said, let's get into the episode. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. We're so happy to be here. I, we're really having like the best conversation. <laughs> we have covered everything. Colts, Twilight, not the same. I'm like, kind of the same. Listen. A lot. <laughs> My love for Twilight is a bit cultic, if I'm being honest. Yes. But I yeah. do. Yeah, we've had every conversation we could possibly have in the past 20 minutes we've had already. It's so I'm glad we're now pushing record. If I were to join a cult, it would be a Twilight cult. Yeah, I'm in. I wanted to name my kid Renesme. I was in the hospital like, have we once again bringing up the name Renesme? And my partner was like, shut the fuck up. I think you guys may already be in the Twilight cult. I think you're there. Maybe it's us too. We can start it. We can just us. We can take all of the knowledge that we've learned. You as a therapist, me in the documentaries. And we could easily start one. Easily. I do think there's a power that therapists have that we could become great cult leaders if we yes, needed to. Right. And it's why it's pretty important to have a good therapist and not a bad one because <laughs> they can cause a lot of harm. Yeah, that's true. I have yeah. never had a bad therapist. I'm so happy to hear that. Well, wow. actually, no, there was one. Her name was okay. Sandra. And I was young. It was court. I have backtracked this many times. Court mandated therapist from my parents' divorce. That like should have been a lifetime movie. Like it has like kind of still going on and it was like 10 years ago. But I mean, it's not really. Love my family. They're great. <laughs> but yeah, she was not the best. And I didn't really like her. But to be fair, I didn't really like anyone at that time. Yeah. So, and court mandated anything is going to be pretty much garbage, right? Like maybe, I feel like that makes sense. Yes, right. And also you were probably at an age where you were not looking to process. Mm-hmm, you're mad. Yeah. You're still feeling your feelings. You're what we call a pre-contemplative stage. You're not actually ready to move forward. And so Sandra… You didn't, you're not up to par, Sandra. I hope you do better next time. And you know, at a time in which everything's already out of your control to have to go to someone who you don't know, you don't feel comfortable with, and it's not your choice. It's like even more stuff that's out of your control. The only pro is that I got to skip school. Yeah. That's a huge pro. That was a good pro. And I would be like, all right, I'm not going the entire day. Sorry. Like, I would be like, oh, it's too late. Or like, I would be really slow on the way out. Like, oh, if I went back, it'd be an hour. You have to come back and get me anyway. Yes. I was a pro. I'm like, later in life, I did go to corporate truancy. So <laughs> I think it started there. It was fine. I, I was a student so who like did very well and was really involved. Like I was like class president. 
but that just means that you tell everyone else what to do and you don't really do anything. Right. So I was like the most involved, least involved student. And I just like wouldn't go to school. I graduated early too. It's so like I really left. You're a I complex think human. Then. Yeah, that's cool. You got a lot of layers I would like to see. A lot of layers. Very, a lot of layers. Very true. Because I've never heard class president and truancy court used in the same sentence yeah, before. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, you know. Congratulations on that. That's impressive. <laughs> Thank you. It is interesting. And you know what is also interesting? I'm tying this, not tied back to me, but tying back yes, to me. Mm-hmm. I like people who surprise you in <gasps> general. I love, like, I love Casey Musgraves, who is like, super liberal, super <gasps> yes. country. I'm also Texan, like, die for country music. Yes. I love, I'm trying to think of a good example, but like, even like my like merch line was like breadwinning housewife and it's yeah. like stereotypically like, traditionally speaking that contradicts itself yes. right so maybe being a truant class president also kind of falls in that, that bubble wow. unpredictable yeah yes. unpredictable wow. it's exciting you never know so you really so you'd like okay so we're i mean we're here to talk about holidays and family complexities and stuff but you you got a little bit in that you like a little chaos you like a little dysfunction to you oh yeah i, I don't <laughs> love the chaos and the dysfunction in my family though okay. that is yeah. what that stresses me out and i will say before we get into this episode i love my family my family is great and i'm talking about my issues not yeah. their like it's not them yep. i recently have been really Rig conversation has been like emotional regression. Mm. I have found I'm 25 and I moved away when I was 17. So from 17 to 22, I was living in Los Angeles and I went to college out there. I fully moved there and I moved out early, right? And the first thing I wanted to do, I do come from a very emotionally explosive background. And so the first thing I wanted to get under control was emotionally reacting to things when I moved away. And I felt like I got this down. I moved back to Texas. And I'm like, oh my God, like I almost felt like suffocated or claustrophobic. It wasn't even always like things that people were doing around me. It was that I was just regressing back to like my 12 year old self. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because like, yeah, you think you heal and stuff, but then you're on your family and it's like, all right, did you yeah. really, you know? So can we talk about that before we even get into uh, anything <laughs> yeah. else? Because that, I feel like that also plays a yeah. huge factor into the holidays. Yes. I think a, uh, first and foremost, just validating the fact that that's a thing is really important because I think it's so easy for us to be so hard on ourselves. We're like, I have done all this work in therapy. I can go back to my family and I can have this holiday with them and I- I've got this, but it is so much harder to be in the same environment where all of that stuff started Yeah, and to be able to manage it while you're around everyone else's struggles, right? There's so much that you don't have control over in your family dynamic. The only thing you have control over is how you process it and what you do with that. And so to be in the same environment where that started can be very challenging. You know, we've made a little bit of a joke about the word triggered, but the reality is is you get triggered, right? And like trigger is an actual, your nervous system saying to you, I'm going to explode. I'm going to shut down. I go in fight or flight immediately. Right. Okay. Right. So we sit here and we say, okay, I I have fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So I'm going to people please you. I'm going to freeze and do absolutely nothing. I'm going to run away or I'm going to explode on your ass and really show you who's boss here. Right. So we Mm -hmm. can keep this going. And the reality is, is that is what being triggered is. It isn't this huge joke. It's a really thing. And it happens at the holidays. It's one of our busiest times of year. Right. We own a large, we we own a large therapy practice. We're in many states. And you should see the numbers when you <laughs> head into the holiday season. It's wild. Because everyone's like, I got to go be around my Aunt Karen who always makes a comment about my weight. I got to go see my Uncle Chad who has something to say about my tattoos. And like there's this thing that happens or I sit there where my parents are fighting or there's passive aggressiveness or all these different stuff that can genuinely make my body have a very, very real visceral reaction. It's crazy too, because I'm now doing more therapy with like other members of my family to really get to the bottom of this. Because I'm a very efficient person. Like (laughs) I want things done, you know? I'm very proactive when it comes to it. So it's like, I have a lot of issues, but I don't want to like sit in them and I would like to fix them. I thought I fixed them already. Turns out, no, I didn't. Not at all. (laughs) But I mean, not, you know, in other ways I have. But it's so interesting because I like hate the word triggered because it's just used for everything and it like drives me insane. But I was sitting there talking to my therapist and I was like, I hate that I'm using this word, but it's just very triggering and it's things that are happening and it really doesn't even like there. No one's meaning to do anything. Like I don't think my family I'm in a situation where I don't think my family is like coming after me Mm -hmm. at this point, but it feels that way. And it's like my my nervous system 
gets so out of whack. And the only time that ever happens in my life is when it has something to do with family. Again, not that it's their fault. Most of the time it's my fault. Yeah. Like it's it's a, a thing within me that I need to like heal and I have control of myself. But it is very difficult. Also, you mentioned something about pe- family members talking about your weight. One of the questions that kept getting asked mm. was how do I get my family to stop talking about my weight or asking questions? How do you deal with that? Okay. So one of the things you want to keep in mind is there are, the reality is you're right. Most people have good intentions. Let's call that out right now, right? Like for the most part, everyone is trying to be their best. And so somebody's saying like, oh, like you look beautiful. It looks like you lost weight or it looks like you've gained some weight. Like people don't typically mean that as something horrible. Actually, generationally, that's a normal way to talk with people. Culturally, it's really normal to talk to people, but it's still harmful. So somebody may have a good intent, but it's a very bad impact. And so the ability to sit here, and the word we're going to use with this is called differentiation, the ability to respond and not react. Two very different stuff. A response is I'm going to address you. A reaction is I'm going to embody the triggering that I'm feeling and I'm going to react to you, okay? So if someone makes this comment of, oh, wow, Jen, when I see you have that pumpkin pie on your plate, I always think about, you know, like you do look like you've gained some weight for you to say, I'm actually not okay with you commenting on my body. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to eat this pumpkin pie. It does look very delicious. And please do not comment on my weight. What we do that is called something called a stroke and a kick. So something kind. I know it wasn't intentional. And still back off. That is really crazy to me that people that happens in families. But that's the the time. We have, listen, so much drama in my family. The dynamics, again, should be a lifetime movie. (laughs) But I am grateful that that has never been Mm -hmm. a thing. Yeah. It's huge. And I think that's one of the, you know, it comes up in so many ways, being able to set boundaries with your family and new boundaries with your family, right? Where in the past, if someone makes a comment on on your weight or what you're eating and your response was to turn inward and feel really shameful, that making that change to be able to say like, you know, I'm really excited to eat this pumpkin pie yet. And I really don't appreciate you commenting on my body is a really important but challenging thing to do. And it takes time. So I think that the the way in which you can go about that too is prepping for some of those comments. If you know that they're going to come, to be able to say, how am I going to handle this when it happens? What will this look like for me? going into it. And maybe that Aunt Karen was someone you used to diet with. The I same love that thing. her name's Aunt Karen. I, I, it was just like the most. Come and on, Uncle Chad. It's it like yeah. literally perfect. And so maybe it was that at one point you used to diet together with Aunt Karen, but you've changed, right? Same thing for setting up boundaries. We talk about the idea of triangulation, right? Where we triangulate other people in to reduce our anxiety. Same thing. Maybe I used to always talk smack on Cousin Joe with Alexis next to me. And then she comes to do it. And I've decided, you want to know what I'm not going to do this year? I'm not going to be talking about people anymore. And so, but Alexis isn't used to that. She's always comes up. We talk smack together on Cousin Joe. So for me to say, you know what? I hear you. I know it's tough. And still, I have decided this year, I am not going to talk about anyone behind their back. I'm going to address them directly to their face if I need to. So for you to reset this, Alexis is going to feel weird because it's going to bring up something for her, which is maybe I don't feel so good that I made this comment. And that's okay. Boundaries could upset other people, and it doesn't mean we are wrong to set them. If y'all have been opting out of skincare, I get it. Sometimes it just gets a little bit too overwhelming, too time-consuming. I just don't know what I'm supposed to be using. And it just, it gets to be too much, okay? The truth is most of us actually care about our skin. We just don't know where to start. So if you're looking for something simple that works without being complicated, then you have to get Curology. If y'all watch my vlogs, you would know that I'm a long time Curology user, subscriber. I am obsessed Curology makes skincare effortless. They create a custom skincare formula for your skin goals. Plus, they've got a cleanser and a moisturizer that are really easy on your skin and they're super easy to use. This cleanser is my all-time holy grail cleanser. It is the only cleanser I've used that doesn't leave my skin feeling dry. Everything ships right to your door and it's ready for you to try, which also makes it so much easier. You guys can sign up for Curology in minutes by sharing your skin type and skin goals and a licensed provider can create a custom formula made for you. It's one personalized formula that is all you. So whether you're struggling with acne, dark spots, or you just want something simple and straightforward. It really has helped my texture on my skin. I've noticed that as I've gotten older, I don't know, I have like this weird skin texture and Curology has really helped. 
They've also got some other amazing products you can add to your subscription. They have an acne body wash. They also have emergency spot patches. Curology has made skincare so much less overwhelming. It's also giving me amazing results. And I love that it just shows up to my door. So this segment is sponsored by Curology. Curology is a made-for-you skincare brand that pairs you with a licensed dermatology provider who analyzes your skin and prescribes custom treatments in the most personal way possible. Start your Curology journey today at curology.com slash IOISM. That's C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash IOISM. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession. Beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411 and sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand. Always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. Having the energy to work out is not always the easiest year round. And then it gets cold outside. And that is like literally the last thing I want to do. I'm just so extra tired in the morning. It makes getting up to work out so much harder, okay? And when I do work out, I really want to make sure that I'm getting the most out of it to achieve results faster. I'm a very like efficient girl, you know? Thanks to TikTok, I kept seeing women talking about a product called Amino Lean. I went and saw it at Whole Foods, so I had to give it a try. And I've also now been taking it for maybe like a couple months, and it has been a game changer for me with my workouts. Each scoop of Amino Leans helps provide a clean boost of jitter-free energy and has key ingredients like essential amino acids, L-cartanine, and natural caffeine from green tea, which helps fuel your body and spark your metabolism. So you can just get the most out of every workout. I hate things that make me jittery because then I get anxious and I'm just not into it. And this does not do that at all. That is why Amino Lean has become the fastest growing energy supplement. They now have over 25,000 reviews on Amazon. It's available in Whole Foods and Walmart locations, plus thousands of other grocery stores across the country. Amino Lean has zero sugar, zero calories, and is available in real fruit flavors like pink lemonade, which is my favorite, fruit punch, and more. Let me just say, again, the pink lemonade is amazing. So basically, before I go for any type of workout, I just mix like a scoop or two into my water. It really just depends on how big of a water cup thing I'm bringing that day. And you have a delicious fruit beverage that helps give your body a boost of energy without any of the jitters or crash. Right now, get 20% off Aminoline at rspnutrition.com using code I love you. Aminoline can also be found at over 10,000 stores across the country, including Walmart and Whole Foods, and of course, Amazon as well. I want to talk a little bit about triangulation. Okay. Oh, yeah. Fun. That's a big one. So with family, especially in the holidays, mm-hmm. how, especially if you were the one, I think if you were the one who's trying to get healthy and then you're going into a family that maybe isn't there yet or isn't doing that, it's difficult to set the boundaries and then you can feel like people are like ganging up on you. Mm, yeah. How do you deal with that? So I think one of the things that's really important, I think something that comes up a lot is if someone is talking smack about someone else, that to be able to say to them, hey, I think you should go directly to that person. Triangulation happens when there's anxiety within a relationship and they're taking the anxiety out of the relationship and putting it onto you, right? So when someone is ganging up on you, to be able to say like, hey, I recognize you're ganging up on me right now. What's going on for you? You know, where's this coming from for you? What's happening for you? Putting it back on them. When we start getting defensive, we're almost taking it as oh, you know, I have to defend myself. I've done something wrong. Really, it's something that's going on with them. So to be able to highlight that, like what's going on in your dynamic with them, I think it's really important that you talk to them about your anxiety or what's happening for you. It's so common, especially in children of divorced families, that the children are triangulated into that relationship. Like, oh, your father did this and you need to go tell your father this. So I think that that, you know, is really common within divorced families and something that is important to be able to detriangulate yourself, which is your ability to say, hey, this is not my place. This is something that you need to talk to them about. That, I mean, as a child of divorce, I mean, that's like huge. 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 Yeah. And what was the impact, right? Like you can sit mm-hmm. here and probably speak to yourself. Like, and, and once again, parents often do not have bad intentions. Definitely parents not. are doing yeah. the best they can. Yeah. If you think about it, like, I mean, our parents are... I mean, we're in our 30s and I have a child, but like 
most people in their 30s now don't even have kids, yeah. <laughs> right? Like you're child-free. And and there's this interesting part that thinking, I think like, oh my God, like my kid, parents are raising adults in their 20s. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the hell we're doing. Like, we're all just trying our best here. So I do truly believe parents don't typically have malintentions. Of course, in abusive situations, that's not what we're talking about. But for the most part, people are trying their best. So when they did that, oh, go tell dad or your father did this. They weren't thinking, you know what? Long term, I'm going to give my child extreme anxiety, a bit right. of depression, some massive yeah. people pleasing and a bit of an argumentative personality. <laughs> yeah, They're just like in the emotion, like reacting to something. Right. And they just don't have the skills. Yeah. Most of us don't have the skills yeah. because we don't actually yeah. teach relationship skills anywhere in life. Yeah, that is crazy. <laughs> I always think too, like my parents got married in their 20s, started having kids in their 20s. They weren't in therapy growing up because why would they be? And it wasn't normal then. Yeah. So like I probably, who knows what I would have done. I don't, I always think that this is actually a new thought that I've had <laughs> to clarify. <laughs> so my parents are listening to this. Yeah, it's, it's a newer thought. And now I'm like kind of coming around like, oh, it makes more sense. It's yeah. very healing though. Yeah. As a child of divorce, because I, it's interesting because I don't find that like the divorce is affecting me in the way of like, oh, I don't believe in marriage. I think it's just affected family dynamics and that's what's affected me. Mm-hmm. But it's healing to think about that because it's like they weren't, they really were probably doing the best that they could. And obviously they love me and their intentions weren't negative. It just, that's now, you know, there's aftermath. And like, I am the one who is paying my therapy bills. So that is like my one (laughs) thing. Do you ever just like, maybe just like slyly slip them in invoices? Oh, I talk about invoices a lot. Yeah, Yeah. you could just try. Yeah, just do it. Maybe you handle this one. Oh, I thought about it. I actually (laughs) did. Now I am doing therapy with a family member and I'm like, this one's on you. I'm not (laughs) not taking this. I'm like, there's no (laughs) way. I'm like, she just raised her rates. Like I got got a mortgage to pay, Uh, you know? (laughs) I'm like, there's just no way. No way at all. Okay, so there's a lot of questions. Okay, we're ready. This is very helpful. I'm like, for me as well. Okay. Okay. How we already talked a little bit about setting boundaries, but I feel like a lot of us have already set boundaries. So yes. someone asked, how do I set firm boundaries with my mom instead of giving in on the ones I've already tried to set? Okay. So you've she's done a tremendous job. First of all, Bravo. amazing. We love you. We love your boundaries. We love how badass you are. <laughs> we love that to do this, right? Okay. What's the reason that they aren't being used, right? So like, is it that mom continuously guilt trips you? Is it mom that basically says like, I don't give a crap about your boundary. I'm going to bulldoze through this. What keeps happening? Because boundary isn't about how someone else is going to react. We don't get to control that part. I set a boundary and I hope that mom is like, oh yeah, I really hear you. I'll never make a comment about your weight again. It's rarely going to happen. Boundaries are for us, for us to speak up for ourselves. So it might be that the boundary has to continuously get more firm Mom, if you do do this, I can't come home for the holidays. Mom, if you do this, I'm only going to be able to stay for two hours at Thanksgiving. You know, any of these things. But also, sometimes it's not about words at a certain point. Sometimes it's about, I'm going to have to think about what's really harmful to me, and I'm going to have to remove myself from that. I think also a common misconception about boundaries is that you just have to set them once, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, you know, when we're trying to change a dynamic in a relationship, a relationship that has been going on for years and years and years and the same dynamic is happening, it takes time to set a boundary, right? It might be that you're continuously setting this boundary over and over and over again. The tough thing, which it sounds like this listener might be struggling with, is that it's really vulnerable and can be really painful to set a boundary and do something different in a relationship and have it not be respected. And sometimes when it's not respected, we go into this really like painful place of, well, I'm just going to shut down. There's no reason to even do this. And so I think that being able to prep yourself for this, know that you have to continually set a boundary and maybe they have to get firmer over time and it has to turn into action at some point if, you know, verbal boundaries aren't working. Just to be aware of that, that it doesn't just change overnight or with one boundary set. Boundary work is also grief work because there's a ton of grieving and people not respecting our boundaries and realizing, oh my gosh, here's where my mom's limited. And you want to know what? I wish it wasn't like that. I'm actually really sad that I can't have this relationship I want with my mom. Maybe I was like, I really love Lorelai and Rory and I just want this Gilmore girl's (laughs) life and I'm not getting it. Hey, even if it's fantasy or not, grief is completely reasonable and acceptable to go through and to feel that. So she did a tremendous job of setting the boundaries. What do you also need to do to take care of yourself next? Is it remove yourself because there's actual harm? Or is it, you want to know what? I have to actually give this up 
and let this go and grieve what I'm not going to have and move forward. I think that's sometimes the hardest part to be able to say the relationship isn't what I expected it to be or wanted it to be. And to get to that point, you sometimes have to go through these pain points of like, I am trying to do my part. I'm setting, I have control over what I have control over in terms of setting these boundaries and being communicative about them. But I don't have control over whether my parent changes. And if they don't change, maybe I do have to grieve that relationship that I expected it to be. And sometimes that can be really, really challenging. I read this book, I think, Stop Blocking at Eggshells. Yep. Yes. Great book. Great book. My therapist recommended it to me week one. <laughs> I love therapist. And that book helped me so much. It does talk about like more specific like disorders yes. and stuff. Yeah. But I think it would be helpful to anyone, even if you're not dealing with that. Yes. It was like literally the most helpful book I've ever read. I recommend that book to someone weekly. I have <laughs> bought it for multiple people and had it's, it like delivered like Amazon Prime to your house. I'm like, there you go. Because it's so, so it's good. so good. Yeah. It's like, an so amazing helpful. read. Yes. Yep. An amazing read. Okay. <laughs> How to make your parents see you as an adult and not theirs. So I think that also goes to like how to deal with controlling parents. Yeah. And once again, we always get questions on our podcast too of like, how do I make people do this? Right. And so that is the thing because it is. And it's so hard because we want so badly for things to change. But when we focus on how do I make someone else do X, we feel even more out of control. Right. It's even more painful for us when the person doesn't change. So how do I make them see me as an adult? I think that that in and of itself is going to be challenging. I think for you to be able to see yourself as an adult when in their presence is the most important thing. So I would ask this person, what is it when you are in your, when you're with your parents, what is it that's making you feel like a child? Like, what is it that's going on for you? What's the experiences you're having with them? And what is it that you can take control of in those experiences? And it's not going to be your parents' response to it. It's how can I, maybe I have to manage my own reactivity in their presence, right? What does that look like? Maybe the tools that were once working for me when I'm not with them, that allows me to feel more differentiated, don't work when I'm with them. Maybe I have to have more physical separation when I'm home. So you might have to develop different kinds of tools when you are with your parents as opposed to when you're separate from them because of that regression that's coming up for you. I think it's really significant this part they said about like almost feels like they're I'm an extension of them or something, mm-hmm. right? Like, and we talk about as boundaries, boundaries are reciprocal. So if we have parents that are overly engaged or the word we use as family therapists is enmeshed, it often means there's disengagement with somewhere else. Maybe they have another sibling that they're cut off from. Maybe they're disengaged from their family of origins. Maybe their marriage has some conflict in it. And so they overly put everything on to me. Those boundaries are reciprocal. If I'm feeling like that is how they see me, I have to create some very different boundaries. This person is also saying they, they're treating me like a child and I, and I want to be seen this way. You're allowed to use your voice and say those very real words. I feel like you infantilized me a bit. I feel like I'm childlike to you and, and I'm this age and these are the things I do. And here's what comes up for me when you do that. What would it be like to be honest with them about the impact of what they're doing? And they might laugh in your face and give you nothing. We don't get to control the other person, but you stood up for yourself. And was that significant and important for you to do? It's like the smothering parent. That's what I think of. So what yes, we call it, yeah, helicopter. So, helicopter, right? So we call it a mesh. And usually it's coming because there is disengagement mm-hmm. and there is cut off somewhere else. And so they mesh into someone else. Very common with Very parents common. and children. And, you know, there's this level of like this multi-generational transmission process that happens that it's very possible that their parents were the same way with them. Right. And so for you to be able to make a different decision in your family that's different than maybe what your parents did is such a brave decision to make, to be able to say, I'm going to change the patterns. And the way in which I'm going to change these patterns is I'm going to speak up. I'm going to set more boundaries with you. Because for them, it might be, oh, you know, this is this is what a parent-child relationship is. And it lasts for, it doesn't matter if you're an adult, but this is what it is. And this is how long it lasts for. Lasts for your whole life. I'm going to treat you like a child. So once again, we talk a lot about how there's no malintention behind it, but really it's, it might be what they know from their upbringing as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of like so many different relationships. <laughs> I'm like, this adds up. Uh-huh. This adds up. I'm like terrified of being a kid because I'm like in the position or of being a parent because right now I'm in the position of obviously the child, right. you know? Yeah. And then as time goes on, I'm like, oh. 
therapy, you know? I will say the interesting thing about becoming a parent that we talk with so many parents about is like it does give you a little bit more empathy for your parents. You're like, this is so much harder than I thought. I was so mad at you for screwing it up so much. And then inevitably we all screw up our kids and that's yeah. like the importance <laughs> of learning to apologize and learning to take ownership. And so like right to sit here and say like, oh, I, I'm totally going to screw this kid up yeah. because like that's just kind of what we do, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel harder. <laughs> harder life. There are few better feelings than supporting a brand with amazing products and an amazing mission, okay? This season, give gifts that give back with 45% off Thrive Cosmetics holiday sets for a limited time. Thrive Cosmetics makes high-performance beauty and skincare products made with clean, skin-loving ingredients, no parabens, sulfates, or phthalates, certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. Cause is in the name for a reason. Every purchase supports organizations that helps communities thrive. I was on FaceTime the other day at my vanity with friends. I was getting ready and I was using my Thrive Cosmetics mascara and they both were like, okay, lashes, like what's going on here? And I told them Thrive Cosmetics mascara is the best mascara I've ever used. And since I started using it earlier this year, I have not strayed and I will not stray. That is how strongly I feel about this Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. It is incredible. It's the first vegan tubing mascara. It's a best-selling product. There's more than 20,000 five-star reviews. If you guys don't believe me, believe them, okay? It basically mimics like the look of lash extensions without the damaging glue or expensive salon prices. And also like when you get those extensions, you have to sit there for two hours. That's just so boring. Uh, They have clean and nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. They also have this incredible sheer strength hydrating lip tint. It deeply hydrates lips with a hint of tint that applies evenly and lasts six hours. It glides on smoothly for an even color that's comfortable to wear all day. I love a good lip tint and I need something that's going to stay. And that's what this one does, okay? No mirror needed, effortless application. And there are six universally flattering shades that become your own. They have Bigger Than Beauty. So for every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help communities thrive. And they have over 300 giving partners across the country supporting numerous causes, which is huge. Right now, you can get up to 45% off their best-selling products when you purchase select holiday sets by visiting thrivecosmetics.com slash I love you. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash I love you to start shopping for their holiday sets. This time of year always inspires me to either give back a little bit more or be intentional about where I am putting my money. That's why I love that Macy's believes mentorships create brighter futures. They are supporting big brothers, big sisters of America in their mission to inspire youth equity and empower kids to reach their potential. Join them and donate at checkout or online November 1st through December 31st. Head on over to Macy's.com slash purpose to learn more. Again, that's Macy's.com slash purpose. Big Brothers, Big Sisters is really just impacting America in such a big way. And I'm really just happy to hear this about Macy's. So again, you can donate at checkout or online November 1st through December 31st. Get your holiday shopping, guys. And honestly, even to stock up on things that you need, like, you know, you're always running out of skincare and stuff. So head on over to Macy's.com slash purpose to learn more. Again, that is Macy's.com slash purpose. Okay, hot topic right now, especially in the recent years. (laughs) Well, interesting. They go, my in-laws are boring. This is a side note. And have extreme political views. How do I survive Christmas with them? You're going to take this one? <laughs> this is my life. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, what, that's literally why I was staring at her. I'll let so, you take this. Here's what I would say. There is boring and there's frustrating and then there's harmful. We don't get to choose our in-laws. We marry someone and they come with a family. So they come along, right? But I am allowed to say I have to take breaks from these interactions. I can't stay in the same house as them. I have to have a hotel room. I can't stay for multiple days. And... Is there enough peace and space to say, we're not going to talk about politics? You're right. We sit, how often do we get this question? All the time. This is, I mean, anytime we talk about family dynamics, we get this question. About politics, right? People are paying 
hundreds of dollars a month to sit in therapy to figure out how to deal over politics that have divided us so much, right? Mm -hmm. So one, is there space to be able to say, we actually all disagree on this. There's not going to be any type of productive conversation or actually we're not even able to have a safe conversation. So can it be that we are together for three days, we do not talk about politics? And if somebody can't respect that basic boundary, they're also saying, I don't really care if you stay. And so you're going to have to decide for yourself, is that worth it? And so there's harm and there's frustration. Sometimes your in-laws are boring. Nah, so whatever. You have a few shots to kill. I would say boring is probably the best. That's the best one, right? You have a few shots to kill. You play a board game and you figure out something to work for that evening. If there's harm, then that's very different. We have to figure out how we truly take care of ourselves. If If you're a marginalized or oppressed person and you're with someone who has extremely conservative, hurtful views... Then you're gonna to want to like. That's what I was gonna bring up. Yeah. Then you're gonna to want to have a harder boundary. What keeps me safe? So there's frustrating, and then there's harm, and we do different things of how to handle both of those. So if you are in a marginalized group, and let's say you have to just not be around them, and you have to do the holidays on your own, yeah. what are some like? affirming words for those people or like dealing with loneliness in the holiday season, which is also a topic I wanted to talk about. Yes. So a few things that I would say is the ability to sit here and say, my job is to keep me safe. And that is this decision I am making. And with safety also comes grief and discomfort. We don't ever get one emotion without a whole bunch of other ones, right? So I can feel all these. I can sit through this discomfort and sit here and truly in my Like in my core of a human, my sacred ground that I sit and know this was the right thing for me, right? Trust in self. Trust in self is not built from high self-esteem and looking good on Instagram. Trust in self is built from mastery. Mastery is also built from showing up for ourselves. I don't let people talk down to me. I don't sit in areas where people disrespect me, at least not ones where I don't stand up. Whatever. If I can have, I can have tough conversation, right? Do I believe that we can have hard conversations Absolutely. Do I believe that anyone needs to put themselves in harm's way? Heck no. And how do I decipher between those things? So those words I would say, look in a mirror and say to yourself, I kept myself safe. That's the most beautiful thing I can do for myself. That is true self-love to check in with safety first. And where's the chosen family I need now? Because when we talk about loneliness in the holidays, it often comes from a preconceived notion about what I think the holidays should look like. And many of us don't have families that look like that. I think there's a ton of expectations around the holidays, around family, that can really get in the way of that too, right? We have these expectations of, you know, even with in-laws, I'm going to get married and I'm going to be so close to my in-laws and we're going to have this one big happy family, (laughs) right? Especially if you grew up in a family where maybe you're not as close with your family. And so I think expectations around your in-laws, expectations around the holidays can be part of the reason why that can be really challenging for us. There is a reason in our practice, we have so many people reach out to us around the holidays because the holidays can be really, really tough for people because of expectations, right? Oh, this is supposed to be the most joyous, you know, (laughs) holiday of the year. And it usually isn't for a lot of people. For some it is, but for a lot, it can be really lonely and it can be a time of grief, right? If you lost someone that year, if you lost someone a few years ago, that it can be a time where you're like, you know, you're missing the person who used to be at your holidays, whether you lost them through passing away or another, some sort of cutoff. Mm -hmm. But I think that our expectations around the holidays that have been built up from so many different things are another huge reason why we really struggle around the holidays because we are grieving that idea of this is what it's supposed to look like and it doesn't look like that. So just being able to validate the fact that it doesn't look like that for most people, it doesn't look like that for (laughs) a lot of people is really important. I like literally think I am Mrs. Claus. I love the holiday season. I live for it year round. November 1st, my tree is up. I love Christmas and I have a huge family, right? But every year I get really lonely. It does make me sad and it's really difficult to deal with. There's always some sort of really bad family drama. Like none of us have the families dynamic that I think we wish for and hope for because I think that they don't really exist either because it's just full of people. Mm -hmm. But even with someone who like I'm posting constantly that I love Christmas, like I because I do Mm -hmm. and I do a lot of these things by myself and also with my friends. 
But I definitely struggle in the holiday season. I feel like yeah. most people do. But I do love it at the same time. Right. Well, so. and I love that you're sitting here and able to say both. I can love something and it can be challenging. It yeah. doesn't mean you don't love the holidays. It doesn't mean that you aren't Mrs. Claus because I think that you are. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But also, like, wow. <laughs> but it also <laughs> means if I feel all of these things, I also feel all of these things. I live yes. on both of these ends of the spectrum because we are all complex people, right? You said you like those surprises, mm -hmm. Mrs. There Claus. There it is, the right? conflicts. And, but we do have this idea. A lot of this is expectations. A lot of it is I have an up, 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 up around the holidays and then a down, 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 down because shit doesn't go. Somebody ends up sick. I mean, the past few years with COVID, right? Yeah. Somebody ends up having COVID. They don't come. Man, that's really stunk all those years, right? Like, there's a lot of grief that has come with all of this. And it's very common around the holidays. It's not by chance that self-harm increases around the holiday season. Yeah. And I think when we dismiss kind of the loneliness, the more challenging feelings. We don't allow ourselves to embrace that at the same time as embracing the other things. Those challenging feelings get heavier and they get harder to manage because we're like, I'm not supposed to feel this way. I'm going to push this down. I am going to pretend like this isn't happening. We shove them down. We don't allow ourselves to feel them when they come up because we have shame around them. I'm not supposed to feel lonely. I'm not supposed to struggle. But it is, as we're saying, very natural to have those feelings, have challenging feelings and have, you know, feelings that feel really good around the holidays. So allowing yourself to feel both. And when you are struggling, you know, when you're struggling with the more challenging ones to have things in place where you can say, this is how I'm going to take care of myself when I am feeling lon lonely, when I am feeling sad, to give that to yourself too. Speaking of expectations, I always say this about New Year's Eve and 4th of July. They end up being a bust unless <laughs> you have some great, great tradition and like plans to the boat or whatever. But there's so much expectation on both of those days. And then when I don't have the plans that I want or everyone's somewhere and I'm not invited or whatever it is, I hate it. I literally went on a family trip for 4th of July. I was like, I'm going. I don't want to be in town because like yes. it's not going to. I'm actually going to Paris this New Year's Eve. But okay, for the that's night. amazing. So Sounds that I, I'm feeling will be like good New Year's yeah. Eve. Like I don't want to like knock on wood. I don't want to <laughs> jinx that. Um, but normally my New Year's Eve are like really. Yeah, the end Nothing. of a bus. Yeah. Well, I think that part of it right? This is so much about what's the story I tell myself. Mm -hmm. The story I tell myself is that New Year's Eve is the best party ever and 4th of July is the best party ever. And sometimes mm -hmm. a random Saturday in February is the best party ever. Yes. So we have these stories that we tell ourselves. Maybe that story is that my family will never get along. Maybe that story is that these holidays are the best or the worst. Maybe it's blah, 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 right? If I tell myself a story, am I actually giving my chance a self to be present and see what actually happens? If I deconstruct the story around it, if I rewrite the narrative, if I relook at these chapters, then I can make it into what I want it to be. But I love the idea of just taking control. I'm going away for it. This is always a bust. I feel like crap every time. So you want to know what? I'm actually going to wake up and maybe I, I don't have the means to go away, but maybe I wake up and I'm like, you know what I want is I want to go to the movies by myself and I want to eat all this crap by myself and I want to do this. I want to have fun and I'm going to stay off of social media because mm -hmm. if you're feeling that way, what does not help is feeling more like crap. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm going to set myself up, not for perfection, but if I'm going to set myself up for a little bit more success, how do I genuinely do that in a protective manner? And it often means when I have expectations, I got to stay off social media and see what other people are doing because they're posting their highlight reels too. And when you're not invited to that party and that party probably sucked, it still looked like the coolest party ever on Instagram. Always. And New Year's is always miserable. Miserable. Right? It's yeah, like always. everything's so expensive. You leave your house and you're like, and you're like, like I charge $100. And it's freezing. I mean, at yeah. least where we live, yeah. it is freezing. Yeah, I guess not where, yeah. yeah. But you're right. It's, it's, and it's crowded. The parties are not fun. No, it's never. It's, it's very expensive. My ideal New Year's Eve would be like in a cabin with friends, you know, and, and that's that so hard to Take Well, that was what we were going to do. And then people were not giving me my answers. So I was like, bye. I'm going to Paris. That's Amazing. actually like what happened. Well, they weren't knocking me. We went on like so many trips this year. So yeah, like, yeah. Friends, I love you. It's not your fault. <laughs> um, but I am going to Paris. So Amazing. I think it'll be good. But I say that and just so everyone knows, my I'm normally not in Paris on New Year's Eve. This is like a new thing for me. Yeah, yeah. It's not always the most fun. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash Kinsey and get on your way to being your best self. This couldn't be more fitting in today's episode because obviously we are talking to the shrink chicks and we are talking about how therapy is so important. In the holiday season, it's really easy to, you know, just get overwhelmed, be a little bit lonely, and just not know how to deal with, you know, family dynamics or drama. The New Year's coming up. 
things can just be overwhelming, right? And we all wish that life came with a user manual. Unfortunately, it doesn't. But the closest thing to it, in my opinion, is therapy. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure, whether it's a career change, a new relationship, or becoming a parent. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy like really the closest thing to a guided tour on the complex engine called you. I have been in and out of therapy since the fifth grade, and I'm currently 25. It has single-handedly been the most influential and positive thing I've ever done for myself, and I cannot imagine my life without it. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed embedded therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist at any time. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Kinsey. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Kinsey. Oh, how to deal with rude in-laws. So we did talk about the political views and yes. some issues there. Rude in-laws, I'm assuming it's boundaries. The answer to everything we're coming back to is boundaries, yes. guys. It is. But the other thing that we're talking about when it's in-laws, the number one thing is you have to be on the same page as your partner. Because if your in-laws say something hurtful, harmful, rude, triggering, whatever it is, what you're really looking for is to feel like your partner's on your team. So this goes into a little bit of couples and relationship work of like, you know what, if that's just who they are, like sometimes I'm just around rude people. Right? You've ever been around just yes. like a rude person. Like you can't really control them. And same thing with your in-laws, whatever. You can set boundaries. But what you need is for your partner to take you in the next room and be like, I heard it. It was totally rude. It wasn't cool. I love you. And I'm so glad you're here with me. Because I feel like someone has my back. But it doesn't feel like us against them. Right? Mm-hmm. It feels like, okay, this isn't the greater good. Because if it's me against you as my spouse, as opposed to this is the thing to do for our marriage because it's important for you that we're here. Our kids like seeing their grandparents. The dog's happy to run around the backyard and leave the city, right? Like any of those things you tell yourself, like that's truly putting us first. And then you don't feel so darn resentful. I think that that's to make sure it doesn't bleed into your relationship yeah. is very, very important. Because what happens at times is that your partner is so used to their parents' comments, right? They're immune to basically what their parents are saying. So you get in a situation and they're saying something rude and it's so much, it affects you so much more than it would ever affect your partner because they're so used to it. So to be able to have a conversation with your partner say like, hey, this really upset me. This really hurt me. Next time when this happens, what can we do when they say something? What feels, you know, this is what would feel safe for me. How can we approach this together? The conflict arises at times when partners have trouble validating that that was our experience because they're so immune to it, right? Or they're like, that's my family. I'm going to defend my family. That sometimes the going, going from the transition of your nuclear family to building a new family can be really hard and can take time. And so that's part of the process, just to be able to say, no, we're building a family together now. That's the most important thing. We need to boundary our relationship. And we need to boundary our relationship when we are at home with your parents. Speaking of couples, how should you navigate splitting the holidays, especially if both your parents are divorced? I think about this. By the way, I'm not even dating. So I'm really ahead of myself. But it's really annoying that my parents are divorced because chances are their parents will be divorced. And then what am I going to do with the holidays? Four. Four events. Four events. That is crazy. Unless you... Marry a Jew. Jew. Yes, that's a really good, oh, very yeah, smart. So if I'm you're a smart, Jew, it's really yes, easy. Marry someone of a different religion. Yeah. My and siblings then, are Jewish. Okay. So that was so going to work out for them. Yeah. Really well. that, that's really well for them, right? You're right. Okay. Four holidays. Whoa. <laughs> a lot of different events. All right. So one of it's Nepen. Where does everyone live? It's almost harder if everyone lives in the same radius because yeah. then you're expected to attend everything. And so what you're going to have to do is start having hard conversations or you're going to say to everyone, actually, we're going to host. You guys can all come and you'll have to figure out and deal with your conflicts. That's actually my plan. That's a That's great, plan. great plan. But I get if, really rich. But yeah. Yes, right. You yep. can do it. Yeah. I believe in you. Right. <laughs> if you, but if you live farther away, then you can say, like, okay, so this year we do Thanksgiving with them, Christmas with you, Easter over there. Whatever you want these things to do, you have to split it up. But the main part is we, you and I, me and partner, are on the same page about how this is. Not we're fighting about it every second. I cannot tell you. We have couples. I mean, we were couples. We were with families. We're systemic therapists. This comes up every 
holiday season. And it's one of the biggest things that comes up in premarital counseling when mm. we do it too. I'm so worried about the holidays. I don't want to give up my tradition. Part of relationships is compromise. And so you might have to give up a little bit of yours and that sucks. Grieve it. Feel it. Be okay with it. And say, but what's best for us as a relationship? And trying to make everyone happy is going to probably end up with you very unhappy. That's the piece that we don't allow ourselves to talk about enough when we are getting married, right? We're focusing on the wedding, the wedding, <laughs> and right. It's more about the wedding. It's more about, but there are a lot of. It's also a lot of things you give up when you get married. I know that sounds very, you know, pessimistic, pessimistic yeah. but also realistic because you your traditions do change, right? You're creating a new, you're creating new traditions in your family, and so I think too being able to say how are we going to communicate about the holidays together as a couple. And then how are we going to communicate that with our families, right? That I think the trouble that some couples run into is that they allow their families to dictate their schedule as opposed to them being able to dictate it, to say, this is what works for us and our family. I am going, you know, we're coming here on Saturday. We're coming, I don't know how Christmas works, but we're going <laughs> to- <laughs> Jewish. <laughs> but to Christmas be able- Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Right, yeah, right, yeah. the whole thing. Or, right, we say, okay, this is our plan that for Thanksgiving, we're going to go to your family's house. And for Christmas, we're going to go to my family's house, especially, right? So there's a bunch of holidays right there that you can split them up. You just have to be proactive about it. Yeah, I thought was my next question was, at what point, if you're being proactive about it, should you have that conversation? Like in the year, let's say you didn't do it in premarital counseling and it's coming up and it's your first time. Like when should you bring it up? Okay, keep this in mind. All relationships are contracts. We have rules, right? So we have conscious contracts and unconscious contracts. An unconscious contract is when we get married, he's never going to want to go to his mom's house. My parents' Christmas is so much better. So, (laughs) so you know what? It's just going to happen. That's actually an agreement you put the person in without them signing, and that's not exactly fair. So we have conscious and unconscious contracts. The coolest thing about contracts is that they are living, breathing, real things that change throughout time. You can say, we're going to try it this way this year, and then we're going to navigate afterwards. What we don't want you to do is to wait until the week before you have an unconscious idea, or you have a conscious idea here saying, if I just don't bring it up, He's going to be fine with just going to all my family events and it's not going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. That's not true because guess what? They're thinking the same exact thing about you. And then we have a large conflict. So what I would recommend is to say, we're going to try it all these different ways. But also then maybe we end up moving to Paris. And then that's it. I think that's the answer to everything. Just go to to Paris, right? (laughs) So it's so having conversations earlier, right? But also allowing there be tons of flexibility and adaptation if something works and something doesn't work. Because it might be like, oh my gosh, I actually really like what they do for New Year's Eve, but I like opening presents with mine on New Year's Day. And here's what we figured out, right? Like what all these things we want to do. So living, breathing, adaptable, compromise, feel the loss that comes with all of those and put the relationship first. When you guys talk about feeling the loss, obviously in so many different categories, how, what are like tangible ways that you can do that to where it's not lasting too long? You know, I think some of the reasons why it lasts really long is that we don't allow ourselves to feel it, right? We push it down and say, I shouldn't feel this way. So I know it's really cliche coming from therapists to say, <laughs> you need to just feel it and acknowledge it and say, it's okay to be feeling this. I think we hold on to things so strongly because we, we want them to be true. And, but when we hold on to those things, right? Like, oh, you know, I know that my mom's going to change if I just like keep doing this and they don't change. When we hold on to that, we are holding on to a false reality. And that can be even more painful and can keep us from really moving forward. Grief is very painful. Doesn't feel like there's much we can do with it. We feel like, oh, if I sit in this grief, I'm doing something wrong. There's something wrong. I'm never going to get out of this. We hear that all the time. If I allow myself to feel this, when will I be able to get out of it, right? There's like, I want to fix the feeling. We get that question all the time. I don't want to feel this. How do I not feel this? But sometimes allowing yourself to dive into it, to really feel it and say, listen, this is really upsetting. Cry about it. Let yourself feel it. Talk to your partner about it. I'm really upset about this. I'm acknowledging that this, that I can't have the same traditions that I once had, right? This is really, really hard for me. The acknowledgement and the ability to validate yourself in that is a way in which you can move through it. What happens is that we 
deny ourselves the ability to feel that. And when we deny ourselves the ability, it lasts way longer. Kenzie, you talked about you're very productive, efficient gal. I was thinking. This is hard for you. Yes. Oh, there. Because I'm not yeah. giving you an answer, there. right? So we're really screwing you right now. Because no, what you you're want, like, yeah. right? But it's a good thing. So if you want it to be a little bit more efficient, I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint here. One of those is if I'm going to say, I'm going to go to someone, I'm going to say, I have to talk about how sad I'm feeling. Don't solve it. Just hear me. I want you to say nothing besides this sucks so bad. Because then that actually gives space. Because if somebody starts giving you solutions, then you lose it. It's gone. And there's a difference between feeling an emotion and being an emotion. I can feel sadness, but if I am sadness, I embody it. I'm not getting out of bed. I'm not washing my hair. I'm back to Gilmore Girls all over again, right? I have to reread all my twilights, all the things <laughs> that I'm feeling, right? And so to sit here and say, okay, one, I'm going to talk it out, or maybe that doesn't feel safe for me. I'm going to write it out. The power of writing is Huge very writer. important, right? Okay, same thing with an internal, internal monologue with myself. Say to myself, oh my God, I hurt. And maybe I'm someone who intellectualizes stuff and I'm very efficient and productive. We're not talking about anyone in this room. And so what you might want to do in a situation like that is to say, where do I feel it in my body? My chest feels tight. My hands feel sweaty. I feel a pain in my head all of a sudden. For some of us, we can actually like find it in our body before we can actually feel it and then say, you know what? Every time something crappy happens, I notice my stomach actually feels a bit queasy. I'm wondering if my body's telling me something. And so then to sit there and say, okay, this is when I'm going to write it out. And I'm going to put on sad music and I'm going to light a candle and I'm going to, you know, feel sadness. And then I'm going to say to myself, now I'm going to go to my day. And if I need to revisit the sadness, I can. Or if I need to check in on it tomorrow, I can. Or if I need to say hello next week, that's fine too. But I don't have to take it with me all the time. Because when we talk about grief, we're all talking about ocean waves. They come and go. They might smack me on my ass, though, if I'm not looking. <laughs> yeah. They might knock me right down. Or I can ride in through the wave and come out the other side. What's really interesting about me is that I, well, there's, there's two ends to this. So there's one end where I avoid any emotion or feeling because it'll then set me back on my work mm. and like my life just in one like area. So the only area of my life that I'm not like that in though would be breakups. Because for some reason, I'm like logically in order to get over this, I need to feel it. So, and I think naturally that's what they say, like women typically lean towards anyways. But I'm like, I'm giving myself time to be sad immediately so that then I'm able to heal from it. But in other areas of my life, exactly. I'm like, even like moving back to Texas, I'm like, there's so many things in the past two years. I had two deaths in my family very close to me. One of my immediate family. And I didn't deal with it. Like for, it was, it was like 2018, 2019. Mm. When I moved back, like yeah. I, it was so weird. I like couldn't, cause I thought like, oh, if I deal with it and then I'm going to be sad forever. And I, I just like couldn't get myself to do it. Yeah. And then I was like one of the like pandemic, like realizations of things. I'm like, well, I have nothing else to do. You know, I guess it's yeah. time to deal with this. But it's like, I don't want to do that anymore. But I definitely do that in every area of my life besides breakups. But you just told us the fear. The fear is that if I let it out, it'll never be contained again. Right. So we already know yeah. what the fear is. But, True. And you've, and you've also already proven that you can contain it if you allow yourself to feel it. That you have True. the ability to nurture yourself through it if you allow yourself to feel it. So we, we discount a lot of the times in our lives when we are doing the things that we fear the most because we say, oh, I can't, I can't deal with emotion. I am a fixer. I never do this. But you've actually proven that you can nurture yourself through really painful emotions and that you've done it multiple times. And that's the thing. We, we end up discounting something when we have actually allowed ourselves to move through it. So something you can say to yourself when you're saying, I want to, you know, I want to feel this feeling. I know it's here, but I'm scared to allow, allow myself to feel it. I, I don't know if I'll be able to contain it is to be able to say, I think so quickly we jump to, I want to get over this, right? I just yeah. want to get over yeah, this. I don't want to feel this. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> and so, so something you can try is to say, how do I nurture myself through this feeling? How do I allow myself to feel it? And then how am I going to nurture myself through it? And then at what point am I going to put it back and say, okay, I have to do something else, right? It sounds to me like you have allowed yourself to feel emotions and have been able to move through it and to move on and do something else. You're functioning very well. Thanks, guys. I love this therapy session. I know. But I guess it sounds like you have to rewrite your story now. Yeah. Some of the stuff you're telling yourself is based on past you current you. And so you're going to need yeah. to rewrite some of those scripts you're saying to yourself in your head. In this 
session that we've had. <laughs> well, I've realized that. And then also I'm like, there are certain things where I'm like, oh, my family will never get along or like this one. You know what I mean? I'm like, I have to like rewrite those yeah. because I mean, it, it's that, that's my narrative. Also, I do think like you're going to find what you're looking for too. Yeah. So if I'm going in with that lens, like that's what I'm going to see. Yep. You know? Yes. Yeah. Guys, this has been an incredible episode. You guys can go back on the show like literally <laughs> oh whenever you want. <laughs> Oh Damn. my God, I'm well, like going to be your number one listener from here so on out. Yeah, I really will be. I'm like, hey girls, what are you talking about? Thanks for having us Thank on. Thank you so much. Where and thanks for being so you? vulnerable. Oh, wait, you oh, did. Of course. I know, but that's hard to do, especially around therapists. We're not always trustworthy. People are like, they're going to read our thoughts or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, people are really psychic. scared. I, <laughs> I'm like a little too open sometimes, I think, you know? I love no people such thing who are that open. for us. Um, you can listen to us on Shrink Chicks podcast. I'm Emily Beerley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And Jennifer Chaikin, licensed marriage and family therapist. You can also, if you're interested in finding a great therapist because you have had some negative experiences, we would love to help you out. We have um, 45 amazing clinicians throughout the United States, specifically in Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Florida, and California. We're working on Texas. And if you're interested, if you live in any of those states and you're looking for a therapist, you can check out the therapygroup.com. We love to connect you with someone badass and awesome to work on yourself. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I absolutely love these women. They have their own podcast that you guys need to go listen to. It's become like a comfort podcast of mine. Every time I listen to them, I just feel so comforted and so much better about my day. I love you guys so much and I will talk to you next Thursday. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.